Once again, we express our appreciation to the presence of everyone who has come. And uh, as I previously announced, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about uh, being a dad. And we're going to draw our outline and our study from Psalm 128. We're going to read uh, from this uh, text, and then we'll view the verses and the uh, points of interest. You know, when, when you read this uh, psalm at a glance, you don't realize that he's actually talking to fathers because uh, he mentions in the context a man in general, but as you read through the text, you realize it's a man with a wife and children. And so he's writing to fathers. Let's read now. Psalm chapter 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Being a parent is one of the most difficult things that any person can uh, undertake. In fact, there are several things about being a parent that are different than anything else. You know, you can change your career. Uh, you can uh, choose to uh, uh, change where you live. You can do lots of things to change your life, but once you become a dad or a mom, then you're a dad or a mom as long as you live. Even if your child doesn't live, you become a parent. And you can't quit. There's no, there's no stopping point. Uh, you know, there's, it's on-the-job training. There's no really class that can teach you to be the kind of parent you need to be. Now, we can learn some principles. But, uh, and the Bible guides us. But uh, really, you're going to make lots of mistakes. And you have to realize that. One thing that most people... I guess don't realize is that while the children are small sometimes they may bruise your toe but when they grow up there will be occasions when they bruise your heart and that from that you never recover it's a wonderful thing to be a parent there are blessings beyond compare and if you give your whole heart and life to being the kind of parent that God wants you to be uh, there can be blessings in your life even in the age that is to come. Now David tells us in this psalm what it takes to be a real dad. Now this word blessed is interesting. It is only used in the book of Psalms and in this particular chapter the word is plural. And of course uh, it uh, means happy. And being plural means happy, happy or double happiness. If you're the kind of parent that you ought to be, if you're the dad that the Bible teaches you you ought to be, then you're going to bring into your life double happiness. But there is an opposite end of that coin. You see, for every positive, there's always a negative. And if you're not careful, if you're not uh, very cautious, then you're headed for double trouble. Not only can 
being a parent give you great satisfaction and great uh, contentment and uh, love that is uh, unbelievable. But if you're not, if you don't pay attention to the life that you have, you only get one shot. And that shot comes so fast. You know, we think, we think when we're young, we have the world by the tail. But while we're thinking that, our life grows old. And it's over. And we realize we really didn't have anything but a tail. Your children grow up so fast. That little boy right there, he's going to be graduating from high school. That little girl right there is going to be getting married one of these days. And you'll think, how did it happen? And so right now you have to count the cost. David says in the preceding psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, we often quote this verse in reference to the church. And there's nothing wrong with quoting it in reference to the church, I don't suppose. But if you look at the context, the succeeding verses are talking about having children and having your quiver full of children. We'll read those just a little later in our study. And so even though we might apply it to the church, he's also talking about the home. In fact, first, I believe it must apply to the home. Now listen to me. If you move away from the standard that God has given for the home, then you're going to get yourself in trouble. <laughs> now, does it take a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist to figure out how far away we've moved from the original uh, standard? Divorce is uh, so high that hardly any family, in fact, probably no family, is not touched in some way by divorce. Preacher told me that when I was just a young boy preacher thinking I wanting to be a preacher. He said... Everybody's family is going to be touched by divorce, even your family. And that, that made me angry. And it wasn't all that many years until there was divorce in our family. You know what happens? You get into the honeymoon and it's ideal. Then you start having problems and an ordeal develops. And then people look for a new deal. But that's not the way you can have a good marriage. That's not what it takes to be really genuinely happy. You see, marriage and, and the home was designed for happiness. It was designed for the greatest amount of happiness that can be attained in this world. And yet sometimes in the home, we have war zones. We have homes where mom and dad are enemies, where the children are allowed to do whatever they please. But I'm telling you, there is a pattern and there is a way to have a home that will work and that will be successful. And it, of course, it is the Lord's way. Well, this psalm, Psalm 128, gives us at least five principles that will help us to, to qualify our parenting skill, to look at our lives and to better uh, uh, assess the kind of parent that we ought to be. Number one, the number one principle that I believe every father needs to recognize is the character that you live. Listen to what he says. Psalm 128 verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. What he's talking about here is genuine character. He's talking about the kind of character that it takes to be a good father. 
to be the kind of father that the Lord wants, that the children will be blessed by, that will cause you to be a blessed individual. Brothers, ask yourself this question. What kind of character do you have? Is it stable? Is it honest? You see, the way you live demonstrates the character you have. Now you think about this. David is talking about a prescription for happiness in the home. And the first thing he says you've got to do is you've got to fear God. You've got to fear. Now have you ever gone and looked at uh, self-help books and, and, and found one you wanted that told you the first thing you've got to do is, is fear? Now see, we're not, we're not looking at it from a psychological point of view. We're not looking at it from a humanistic point of view. You know, often marriages will end because somebody says, I'm not happy. So what? That doesn't give you a reason not to stay married. Happiness is a state of mind. And happiness comes from inside, in us. Listen to me. If you're not contented, there's something wrong in here. It's not everybody else it's you if I have a problem with being contented and happy it's my issue and I need to make some self-examination David says if you want to be double happy then fear the Lord now what does he mean by that does he mean that God is some monster that uh, is lurking in the darkness ready to just stomp us out you know some people seem like that they they think that's the kind of God we serve. Now it's true that God does not mess with us. It's true that God will punish the wicked. But listen to me. God's the creator. And the Bible says that the creator prepared everything on the earth perfect. And then he created man. He loves us. In the midst of the garden, the Creator provided a tree. And God said, when you eat from that tree, Adam, you'll live forever. He put him in a sinless world. Think about it, where there was no child abuse. There was no drunkenness. There were no divorces. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no pain and could eat the tree of life, and his body was perfect forever. God loved man, but he told man that if you eat of that other tree, whatever that tree was, we don't know what kind of fruit was on that tree, but whatever that tree was, God said if you eat from that tree, you're gonna die. And we know that when man ate the fruit, he died that day. Now it's interesting because in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible tells us something about what happened in the garden. It says the woman was deceived being in the transgression. When God came to Adam, he told him, Adam, it's for your sake that the ground is cursed. That was Eve that sinned first. But you think about that. 
He says that the woman sinned because she was deceived. The devil lied to her, and he deceived her. But the Bible implies the man knew what he was doing. God had told him not to eat the fruit. He knew he shouldn't, and he did it anyway. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And you see, man was responsible. My wife... I've mentioned this before. You know, I'm just like everybody else. I like to blame somebody else, and sometimes I try to blame my wife. And one day I was blaming her, and she got tired of it, and she said, Dwayne, Adam tried to blame Eve. Did it get him anywhere? You see, the problem was Adam was supposed to be the spiritual leader. He was the leader of the family. He was the first leader that God organized, and he dropped the ball. He probably was standing right there when Satan said, you shall not surely die. He had the perfect opportunity to say, listen, Eve, get away from here. But you know what he did? He stood there and watched. And then when she ate and he gave her, she gave him the fruit, he ate with her. Now listen to me, friends. If there is trouble in the home, if you have problems in your family this evening, I'm telling you, brethren, you better look at yourself. Because most of the time, the problems in the home are caused by the fault of the man. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know there are a few Jezebels left. But most of our sisters, all of our sisters in this assembly, do not, none of them are Jezebels. Most of the time, it's the man causing the problem. Because he's not what he ought to be. He's not fulfilling his responsibility that he ought to be. God says, if you want to be happy, you need to fear God. In other words, you need to show God reverence. You need to recognize who he is. He's the creator. He made us. He's so much higher than anything that we know or understand. He's God. He's outside of time. We lived in a closed system where everything is measured by time. But God is eternal. And yet, he put us on the earth, his creation, and made us king of the earth. And we blew it. We sinned. And he gave us a second chance. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary so that we could live eternally. In fact, I don't remember if I mentioned it already in this meeting, but you know back yonder, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, the Bible says that these uh, individuals in the beginning, Adam and Eve, were clothed. And that word clothed comes from a Greek word uh, which means cover. And they were clothed with tunics of skin or coats of skin and of course the word clothed later is uh, used that is the root the Hebrew word by which or from which the word clothed is translated later is uh, translated atonement and it has to do of course with the forgiveness of sins now Adam and Eve were clothed by God with those animal skins and of course in order for animal skins to cover the, their bodies, blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed. And the point is, death was brought into the world because of sin. 
And that was the first death when that animal died. And Adam and Eve knew that. Now think about it. God devised a plan when man sinned, when man wronged him, to send his son to die. And he began a series of, of uh, substitution sacrifice that pointed forward in time. God, of course, according to Romans chapter 3, as I have stated in the past, did not give remission of sins with this blood, but it was rather he passed over the sins because of this blood. And he passed over the sin finally until Jesus died on the cross for your sin and mine. And our sins are nailed to the cross. Think about it. We should serve God because he loves us. No wonder Paul said in Romans chapter 2 verse 5, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. We should be ashamed of ourselves when we fall short. We should be ashamed of ourselves when we're not the kind of father we ought to be. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Listen, brother, if you're the kind of dad that your son needs to see, if you're walking the way that God wants you to walk, he needs to hear you pray. When was the last time you prayed with your son? Some of you have sons that are grown. I hope you still pray with them sometimes. When was the last time they heard you pray? When was the last time that you listened to them pray? What a perfect opportunity, Terry. You work with your son. Think about it, brethren. We need to pray together with our children. They need to hear us praying to God because we realize we've been wrong. They need to know that we feel accountable to God. They need to understand that we're responsible to Him. They may be responsible to us while they're small, but they need to realize at the same time one of the main causes of our discipline, one of the main causes of our sharp words sometimes are because we're under God's sight and we're subject to Him. And when we make a mistake, they need to know that we're seeking His forgiveness. They need to see you reading the Bible. Do they see you reading the Bible? You got some nieces and nephews. Do they ever see you reading the Bible? You see, that's important. I don't mean when you see them running up in the yard, you pick your Bible up. But I mean because you're reading it so much, they sometimes catch you reading it. Because they can see through the fake. We think we're fooling them, but we're not. They need to hear you singing in the assembly. They need to know that when you're saying those words, you really mean what you're saying. They need to know that when you sing, what a friend I have in Jesus, that you're not spending all your nights sleepless because you haven't been living right or maybe because you have problems that you haven't cast on the Lord. They need to see that you're vulnerable and that you need God and that you look to God for help. 
We'll talk about that again some more tomorrow night, but I'm going to tell you something. What you have to do with your children, you have to convince them to do what you want them to do because they think they need to do it. And when they get to the age that they're going to leave the nest, they'll be ready to live under God's rule. Now, I'm not talking to somebody tonight who has grown children. We can't go back and change what, we're, what, what we were. Now, we can change what we are. And it doesn't matter if your children are grown or not. If you're alive, there's still hope. But the point I want to make tonight is we need to all evaluate our, our fatherly characteristics because our children can see whether or not we really love God or not. Do your children, have they seen, have they learned how you listen to God's word? Do they hear you say, I'm sorry? Not easy for some men to say they're sorry. But you know what's so bad? with that is sometimes we all need to say we're sorry. And when we can't admit it, when we can't say we're sorry, all we're doing is fooling ourselves because the children know we need to say we're sorry. They need to hear us say that. They need to see us serve others. You need to take them up to the hospital when someone's sick to visit. You need to take them to some widow's home and clean the yard up with them. You see, they need to see you serving others. You need to teach them how to serve others. Well, the character that he lives, the contentment that he learns. Now, we're living in a day and time when a man sometimes will take a wife and he has no concept of what it means to work. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a young man contemplating marriage and you're not ready to work, then you better stay out of marriage. Because it's your job to work and make a living for your family. That's your responsibility. It's given to you by God. Listen to what David says. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. There's nothing like going out and laboring hard through the day. That doesn't mean necessarily physical labor, but laboring hard through the day. And when you know you've done all you could to accomplish the purpose that you live for that day, coming home at night to a good meal and to the family. A family that welcomes you, knowing that you have sacrificed for them, that you're laboring for them. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. A man must work hard. But listen to me, brother. Don't carry it to an unwholesome evil. Because if you spend all your time away from home, you spend all your time bringing home the bacon, then you're going to lose the most prized possession in your life, your children. You know, one of the problems that we face today is both the man and woman have gone to the workplace and the workplace is not a place where you can take your children generally. You know, I was blessed. My mom didn't work and my dad had his own business so I could go to work with him. And it was an environment where I could labor and I could learn. My sister wasn't so fortunate, wasn't so blessed. She, she didn't get to go with my dad. But your children need to spend time with you, even when you're working. 
Now, I know you can't take them on the job. I understand that generally. But listen to me, Dad. You're the one that's to teach your little boys and your little girls how to work. We're living in a day and time when young people don't know how to work, when one of the biggest problems is when you have a place where you need to employ people is getting somebody that'll come to work on time. Isn't that amazing? All this unemployment, all these people out of work, and when they get an opportunity for an interview or, or for a job, they show up late. Every man needs to learn and know how to work hard. In fact, Paul says that if you do not provide for your family, that you're worse than an infidel. Now, how you get worse than an infidel, I haven't figured that out yet. But that's what the Bible says. That when you won't work and provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. There's something about working hard that brings satisfaction. You know, you need to teach your children to stick to things. They need to see you getting up and going to work even when you don't feel like going to work. They need to see you getting up and doing what you need to do even when you don't feel like doing what you need to do. They need to see you on a day-to-day grind being the kind of person that you ought to be. And that'll stick to them the rest of their lives. Listen to this little story poem, we've all heard it I guess, a little fellow follows me. A careful man I ought to be, a little fellow follows me. I dare not go astray for fear he'll go the self same way. I cannot once escape his eyes, whatever he sees me do he tries. Like me he says he's going to be, that little chap who follows me. He thinks that I am good and fine, believes in every word of mine, the base in me he must not see, that little chap who follows me. I must remember as I go through summer sun and winter's snow, I'm building for the years to be in the little chap who follows me. My little, my, my youngest, oh well he isn't my youngest grandson anymore, but he's uh, gonna be three in just a few days. We went to the parts store one day and we were waiting for some help and we were standing outside and I put my hands in my pocket and I put my foot up on the wall and I looked down and Isaiah had his foot on the wall. Sometimes he tries to wear his daddy's shoes. I'm telling you, the greatest prize that you have in your life is not what you get, not your money, not your possessions, not your job, your business. It's your family. And if you let your family slip through your hands, you'll have nothing but regret as you grow old. And how sad will that be? The character that he lives, the contentment uh, in his life, and the companion that he loves. Listen to me. Chris, if you want your children to have the greatest value in their life, then you need to learn to love their mama more than you love anything else in this world. If you want your children to understand what God or how God loves them, then you need to love their mom with your words. You need to love their mom with your actions. You need to love their mom with your life. 
You see, God designed it so that children can see God in us. The companion that he loves. Listen, friends. To be the kind of father we need to be, we need to love our wives, we need to love our spouses with everything that we have got. Your wife should be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. What's he talking about? Now, Doyle, you've got some tomatoes, but I know that you never went out there and started walking on those tomatoes. They look pretty good. He's got some, you know, he's got some. But I'm going to tell you something. He's not as good at raising tomatoes as my dad because my dad's got about a thousand more tomatoes on his vine than he does. But you know what happens? I venture to say if you were a fly on the fence out there, you'd hear Doyle talking to those plants. He wouldn't be yelling at them either. He'd be talking soft to them. I venture to say you might see him nurturing those plants and looking for uh, maybe some worms and getting those worms off of there. He's, he's, taking, he's fertilizing them. He's cultivating them. He's caring for them because he wants them to grow and make tomatoes. Now, have you ever seen an old woman with wrinkles all over her face because she's had to deal with so much stress in her life? I'm not talking about the crinkles around her eyebrows and maybe on her cheekbone from laughing so much. But I'm talking about somebody that's had a hard life. You see, Dad, it's your job to make your wife's life better. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Paul says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Jack, you need to ask yourself the question, is Betty a better person today than she was 40 years ago? You need to think about that. Because when you take a wife, it's your responsibility to make that woman better than she would have ever been. That's your job. The companion that he loves. Now, what does a vine do? Think about it. A vine cleaves to a wall. What the vine needs is a steady uh, wall that is a help to that vine. Now listen to me, I've stated this already. If there is trouble in the home, most of the time, the trouble is man's fault. Now we're talking about this idea of love. Did you ever notice that the Bible doesn't tell the woman to love her husband? There is no place that directly commands the woman to love her husband. Have you ever wondered why? Now God made us. He knows who we are. He knows the potential that we have. Why does he command the man to love his wife, but not the woman to love her husband? Well, I believe it's creational. And I'm convinced that if a man loves his wife as the Bible teaches him to love his wife, then he won't have to, she, his wife won't have to be told to love him because she'll love him. If you really love your wife, as the Bible teaches you to love your wife, then that love is going to be requited. There is no doubt about that. The companion that he loves. The kind of love we're talking about is selfless love. Now, what, how do you demonstrate your love to your wife? Well, most of us don't think about relationships. You know, if your wife says she needs a relationship, you know, we think, well, we got a refrigerator and a dog. What else do you need? 
In fact, most of us probably talk more at work than we like to talk anyway, and we get home, we don't want to talk anymore. But the truth of the matter is, I'm supposed to love this woman more than I love anything else in this world. You think about that. I'm supposed to love my wife with a sacrificial love. In fact, I want you to listen to this statement. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Think about this. Jesus did not become head of the church before he was Savior of the church. Now, if you spend your time browbeating your wife over the head with the idea that you're the boss, you're the boss, I'm the boss, and you need to listen to what I'm saying, then you're making a terrible mistake. In fact, in the marriage, there are roles that are given by God. And uh, there's a role for the man, there's a role for the woman. But the role is not so much like this and like this. It's more like this. Now it's true that the man is the head of the home. But over there in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14, the Bible says the wife is to manage the home. Now that word manage it's from a Greek word that's translated in other places, rule. Now don't misunderstand me here. Listen to this. What's he talking about? Manage or rule the home. Now, Jesus is head of the church, but who rules the church? It's the elders. You see the point? The umbrella of leadership, the headship is the man's, but under that umbrella of authority, the wife has some authority too. She's not, the, she's not the slave to the family. She's not. And we have to always remember that. The Bible says, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, let me ask you. Do you love your wife, brother, like Jesus loves the church? Now, do you think if Jesus were you, she'd come, he'd come and sit in his easy chair and tell his bride to bring me a glass of tea? after she's worked all day? How about it? Now, is it wrong for your wife to bring you a glass of tea? No. In fact, that's a good thing. But the point is, she needs to know that you love her, and then she'll bring you a glass of tea without you asking. But you have to demonstrate that by the way you treat her, by the way that you live. You need to take your wife on dates. You know what happens? A man romances his wife and he romances her. Takes her on dates and brings her flowers or brings her candy or whatever. 
Anything she likes, he tries to figure it out. And then when he gets to the marriage altar, it all stops. And after a few weeks, the wife gets a little bit disgusted about it. But maybe she doesn't say anything yet. She just thinks he's busy, you know, he's starting a new life. But pretty soon she blows up and she wants to know what's wrong. You see, a man is goal-oriented. His goal was is to get married. And after he gets married, he's reached his goal so he don't have to romance anymore. But you see, God don't want it to be that way. We need to stop and think about it. And we need to continue to romance our wives. We need to continue to take them on dates. We need to continue to spend time with our spouses. We need to do things with them and uh, show them how much we love them. Listen to this. Bought a beautiful diamond ring. Offered it to the sweetest thing I know. And she said she would take it. Started making some wedding plans. She looked at me and she took my hand and said, Are you sure we can make it? I said, My granddad still loves my grandma. He's still in love with my grandma. I said, my dad still thinks my mom's the sweetest thing he ever saw. I come from a long line of love. When the times get hard, we don't give up. Forever's in my heart and in my blood, you see. I come from a long line of love. Years went by and we had a son. Now he thinks that he's found someone for him. And they're planning a wedding. He called me up on the phone today just to see what I had to say to him. Did I think he was ready? I said what his grandfather used to say to me. It's been handed down for ages. It runs in the family. You come from a long line of love. When times get hard, you won't give up. Forever's in your heart and in your blood. You come from a long line of love. The children that he leads. In Psalm 128, verse 3, your children, like olive plants all around your table. Olives were a symbol of righteousness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Now, look at this. He says, our wife is to be like a vine... And our children are to be like olive plants. Plants and vines. That means that there's some cultivating that has to go on. There's some time that has to be spent. You see, people in our day and time talk about uh, time in the wrong sense. You know, quality time, they call it. But you don't say that tomorrow at 5 o'clock we're going to have some quality time. That isn't the way it happens. What you do is you spend day after day time together. And you spend time and more time and more time. And then all of a sudden, because you spend a lot of time together, you have some quality time. Have you ever wondered why these big organizations have ball clubs? You know why they do that? It's because people break their legs and break their arms. 
Yeah, that's why they do that. Now, do they want people to break their legs and break their arms? No. That's not the idea. But you know what happens when somebody breaks their leg when they're playing together, when they're together? Everybody comes to the rescue. Any short-tempered experience that happened last week is forgotten. And you touch each other's heart. And you know what happens when that leg mends and they're working out there together? They become a team and they begin to love each other because they bond. Gary Smalley says that every family ought to go camping. Because there's a lot of experiences when you go camping that'll bond you. Now, it's not, it's not good for the, the experience is not something you wish on anybody. But when you do things together that are a little bit risky, something happens. Maybe Emma will get her finger stuck in the door and, and it'll get smashed. I hope that doesn't happen, dear. But that happened to one of our kids one time. And it's amazing how much we can laugh now when we talk about that day that Philip smashed his finger in the door. Now, he wasn't laughing that day. But today we can laugh about it. And that's how you raise a family. And that's how you cultivate your family. You spend lots of time with them. And you bond. The Bible says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, or in the training and admonition of the Lord. Well, the last point I want to make is, because I know my time's already gone, is the contribution that he leaves. <laughs> this is the most important point. But you can't have this point unless you keep the others. See, so you got to take your kids to church. You don't send them to church with dad. You don't send them to church with mom. You go to church together. You read the Bible together. You do lots of things together. Maybe you grocery shop together. Oh, I hate to shop, but sometimes I grocery shop with my wife because I look for any opportunity to spend time with her. And when that is all put together at the end of your life, the greatest tribute will be the contribution that you leave. Our greatest asset in the church is our families. You think about it. If we all saved our families, the church would be giant. It would grow incredible. You know, that's one of the reasons why Fremont got so big so fast. It's because that generation, the last generation after me, they saved all their children. And their children married people and they all stayed at Fremont. And the tr church grew tremendously because of that. That's not the only reason. But that's one of the reasons. You want the church here to be shot into the future then you need to teach and train your children. It is vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Listen to this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a, his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but, speak, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. The character that he lives, the contentment that he learns, the companion that he loves, the children that he leads, and finally, 
the contribution that he leaves. You want to be happy tonight? You want to grow old? Then be this kind of father. And you'll have memories and you'll have pleasures that are untold. Now, I don't know the minds of people who are here tonight, but I'm going to tell you, you can't be blessed like you can be unless you're a Christian. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, then the best time to start being the kind of dad you ought to be is right now. Show your children what it means to give your life to God. The Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you ready to diligently seek after the Lord? Then pronounce your faith in him. Decide in your heart that you're no longer going to serve the wages of sin. Turn about face, and that's repentance. In Acts the third chapter, verse 19, the Bible says, Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Are you ready to be converted? Do you believe in Jesus with all of your heart? Have you repented in your heart confessing before this audience? And Jesus makes a promise. He says, I'll confess you before God. Be like the eunuch who said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Bible says that when the eunuch made that confession, that the preacher commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water and they baptized him. Why did he do that? The like figure whereunto doth even baptism now also save us. He believed, he repented, he confessed, and then he was baptized because baptism is the final step that saves us. You want to be happy? Give your life to God tonight. Make up your mind you're going to serve him from this day forward, you're going to give him everything, and he'll bless you. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, inasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.